So the readings from 1 Philippians, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, do keep that open. Letter writing is something of a lost art. We live in the age of the text, the WhatsApp message. An email is frankly old-fashioned these days. And very few actually put pen to paper and write letters. But in the first century, letter writing was an essential and central way in which people communicated. And just as today, there were standard forms of letter writing. We have our dear so-and-so, signed off yours sincerely or yours faithfully. Well, in the first century Roman Empire, there were standard forms of letter writing. There were different types of letter, business letters and friendship letters, amongst other genres. The great Bible scholar Gordon Fee argues that Philippians is a friendship letter and a letter of moral exhortation. So it's a letter between friends. Paul is on excellent, friendly terms with this church and he wants to exhort them. He wants to persuade and inspire them to live for Christ. Our verses today break into three parts. The senders, the recipients, and the message. Firstly then, the senders. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. This is the standard way of beginning a letter. So it's the opposite of how we write letters. We sign our names at the end. Ancient Greek and Roman letters began with the names of the senders. Paul is the Apostle Paul. He'd been brought up to be a Jewish Pharisee. He was an expert in the Hebrew Bible, which we now call the Old Testament. And he was a vehement persecutor of Christians. In fact, Paul looked after the clothing while his fellow Jews were stoning Stephen in Acts 7. In other words, he was complicit in Stephen's murder. And he was determined to murder many other Christians as he travelled around in the years following the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then, of course, Jesus met Paul on the Damascus Road. Jesus overwhelmed Paul with his glory. Paul was left a broken man, blinded by the great light he'd seen, devastated to discover that the Jesus he'd been persecuting was in fact God himself. But Jesus doesn't leave Paul 
in his brokenness. Jesus heals Paul's blindness. And Jesus recommissions Paul, this time not to persecute Christians, but to serve Christians. Not to stamp out the Jesus movement, but to plant churches and nurture them so that baby churches might grow into strong adult churches full of enthusiastic believers who live their whole lives for the glory of Jesus, to make Jesus known and to promote lives lived for him. That's what Paul is doing as he writes this letter to the Philippians. Notice how Paul describes Timothy and himself. Servants of Christ Jesus. Sometimes when Paul writes to New Testament churches, he draws himself up to his full height and he declares himself an apostle of Christ Jesus. The apostles were Jesus' official spokesmen. What Jesus said, the apostles said. And what the apostles said, Jesus said. The apostles were the highest authority in the Christian church for all time. We still obey them today. There are no apostles after the New Testament times. To be apostolic means to obey what the original apostles taught. So when there is great tension or difficulty or false teaching in a church, Paul would announce himself to be an apostle by the will of Christ Jesus. He would say, you must listen to me. I am the apostle. But here in Philippi, Paul just describes himself as a servant. This can also be translated a slave. Paul is on good, friendly terms with the Philippians. He knows they respect his authority, so he doesn't feel the need to assert it. There are problems in the Philippian church, but they're not to be compared with the difficulties in, say, Corinth or Galatia. So this letter is from Paul the Apostle and from Timothy, who is not an apostle, but is Paul's junior colleague, whom he's trained up and who represents Paul on various missions and challenges in the New Testament. So that's the senders. Secondly, then, let's look at the recipients, verse 1b, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. God's holy people is also translated the saints. All God's people are now saints. According to the Bible, there's not a special category of Christian called saints. You'll know that according to Roman Catholic teaching, a person only becomes a saint after they've died. And only if a miracle has been attributed to them 
after prayer has been made to them. The Bible knows nothing of any of this. God's holy people, God's saints, are the ordinary Christians at Philippi and at Baldock and Letchworth and wherever God's people meet. Notice that we are holy, not in our own strength or goodness, we are holy in Christ Jesus. This is a major theme for Paul in all his letters. To be in Christ or in Christ Jesus means to be included in God's purposes for the church in Christ. So, for example, in chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. It is in Christ Jesus that Paul knows he's been called by God. It's in Christ Jesus that Paul knows he's been given a place in heaven. In chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. All of God's riches are to be found in Christ Jesus. It's a bit like the story of Noah. In order to be saved from the flood, you had to be in the ark. If you weren't in the ark, you died. In the same way, Jesus is like a lifeboat. In order to be saved from God's wrath for God's love, you've got to be in Christ. You've got to be in the lifeboat. You've got to be included in Christ. You've got to be one of his people. And so Paul ends the letter, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. Greet the ones who are in the lifeboat. Greet those who belong to Jesus, who are his very own people. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul expands on this theme. He says famously that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. So if you belong to Christ, if you're in the lifeboat, if your name is written in the book, if you're one of Christ's people, every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. Again, there's only one category of believer, those who are in Christ. You're either in Christ or you're excluded from Christ, excluded from God, excluded from heaven. It's not that there are some Christians who are saved and in the premier class and some Christians who are also rams. It's not 
like watching the cricket at Lord's. At Lord's, if you're a member of the club, if you're a member of the MCC, you get to wear the MCC tie and you get access to the pavilion. Everybody else has to sit in the non-member seats. Some people think the Christian life is like this. There are ordinary Christians and there are saints. There are ordinary Christians and there are the super-duper Christians who live on a higher plane of experience. There are people who are more spiritually mature than others. There are those who enjoy fellowship with God more than others do. But this is not because they belong to the spiritual elite. It's simply because they're more consistent in their Christian life. The more wholeheartedly you live for Christ, the more you enjoy your relationship with God. But there are not special categories of Christian. There are simply those who are in Christ, which is all Christians. And there are those who are not in Christ, who are not yet saved, not yet in the lifeboat, not yet on the way to heaven. So Paul is writing to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't make distinctions between believers. He writes to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. The one thing that does distinguish this group of Christians is that they are at Philippi. Philippi is in Greece. It was named after Philip II, the father of Alexander the Great. It was a strategic city located on the Ignatian Way, the main overland route between Asia and the West. Paul founded this church at Philippi in the early 50s AD as the first church on European soil. You may remember how soon after Paul and Silas entered the city, they met with a group of women for prayer outside the city gate. There was no synagogue in Philippi. When Paul and Silas removed an evil spirit from a slave girl, her angry owners took them to court flogged and jailed, Paul and Silas prayed and sang until an earthquake shook the jail during the night. The jailer and all his family became Christians. The next day, the magistrates were alarmed because they discovered Paul and Silas were Roman citizens and should not have been flogged and jailed without a fair trial. You may also remember how Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, 
became the first Christian in all of Europe through Paul and Silas at Philippi in Acts 16. Because of the influence of the Philippian church, the way was opened for the gospel to spread to the rest of Europe. So this was a highly strategic church. Paul writes to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. It seems that the overseers were the elders in the church, the ones who exercised senior authority, primarily through teaching the church. And then there are the deacons, who are primarily responsible for the administration and practical running of the church. Again, this is not a distinction of status. In the church, the senior leaders are the chief slaves. My parents attend a church in South Wales, and my mother was asked to do some teaching. The minister then offered to do her printing for her. My mother replied that there was no need for the minister to be bothered with such things, to which he replied, But I am the servant of the church. That's a very impressive attitude. There should be no hierarchy of importance in a Christian church. There are different functions. It so happens, within God's providence, that I'm able to teach. That's why I'm a pastor teacher, an elder, an overseer. Other people are very good at practical and technical tasks. Neither is superior. Both are necessary for the functioning of the church. A church I know appointed elders for the first time. Previously they only had deacons and a pastor. All was well until some people objected that they had not been made elders. I want a seat at the top table, said one of the disappointed men. But it shouldn't be this way. It's not about having seats at the top table. It's simply about serving where God has best gifted us to serve. And so Paul writes to the holy people, the overseers, the deacons. We've seen the senders of the letter, the recipients of the letter. Now thirdly, let's look at the message, verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is always the starting point for Paul. Grace means God's undeserved blessing poured into our lives. I've done nothing to deserve this. My sin means... I have only earned for myself a place in hell. 
But because God is gracious, because God is kind, and because Jesus has paid for my sin with his own blood shed on the cross, this means I may be saved from God's justice, from God's wrath, from hell, for God's love, for God's blessing, for heaven itself. This is all by grace. Grace is our experience of God's undeserved blessing. Grace is also the power by which I serve God. By his grace alone, I can come to God and live for God. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 in the ESV, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So grace is an experience of God's power in our lives. Similarly, in 2 Corinthians 12, Verses 8 to 9, Paul says that three times he pleaded with the Lord to take away the thorn in his flesh. Three times Paul asked God to take away his experience of suffering. But God said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So God's grace was the power by which Paul would keep going under stress, under difficulty, perhaps through ill health. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. My parents have a caravan. It's a very simple concept. Wherever the car goes, the caravan follows because the car is towing the caravan. In the same way, peace follows wherever grace goes. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is the starting point. We recognize that we're sinners. We recognize that we deserve hell. And then we come to God for grace. We come to God repenting of our sin, turning away from our sin, and trusting in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so we experience grace. Our sins are forgiven. Our lives are blessed. And one of the first benefits of this is that we experience peace. We know peace with God. Where once there was war between us and God. This is not because we won the war. We lost 
in fact. God overwhelmed us in our rebellion against him. God defeated our rebellion. And then God caused us to repent. God caused us to trust in Jesus and gave us peace. As Romans 5 verse 1 puts it, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're put right with God, justified through faith, we're given peace with God. We can know very profoundly all is well between us and God. We can know God as our Father. We can know Jesus as our King, as our friend, as our brother, as our husband. We know the love of God in place of the anger of God. We are profoundly peaceful. All is well between us and God. A wonderful benefit of this is that we can have peace in the wider world. We can face all of life's trials and tribulations. We can face ill health. We can face unemployment. We can face death itself and still no peace. As Paul puts it in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there is a way to know peace, even in the storms of life. It begins with a simple decision. I won't be anxious. Rather, I will pray, thanking God for his absolute control over every situation. And God promises that his peace will guard our hearts and minds. Once again, in Christ Jesus, in the lifeboat, the storm may be raging all around us. But in the lifeboat, in Christ Jesus, we are perfectly safe and at peace. And this means that one of the major applications of Philippians is that we are to rejoice. All is well between us and God. God is in control of the difficulties we face. Therefore, the climax of the letter is in chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And we'll see more of this theme of rejoicing 
in the weeks to come. So how is it with us today? Are we living apostolically under the rule of the Apostle Paul, under the authority of the Bible? Even though Paul and Timothy describe themselves as servants or slaves, slaves of Christ Jesus, are we beginning and ending the day reading God's word, bringing our lives into line with what the Bible teaches? Are we a member of God's holy people? Not in Philippi, but here in North Hearts or Central Beds or wherever we live. Are we humbly serving in the church as God has gifted us? And do we know the reality of God's grace, God's undeserved blessing, overflowing into our lives, sustaining our lives, empowering our lives, and giving us peace? Fundamental peace with God. Peace regarding the day of judgment. And therefore peace as we face all of life's trials. So that not only do we cope with pressures, but we actually rejoice in the midst of them. All of these blessings can be yours today. Come to Jesus Christ. Come for the first time, for the forgiveness of your sins, for the gift of a relationship with God, for the gift of heaven when we die. Come for the first time. Come for the umpteenth time. Come once again to Jesus. Perhaps say to him, Lord Jesus, I know I haven't been living as I should. I haven't been living as one of your holy people. I haven't been living under the rule of your word. I haven't been rejoicing in your grace and peace. Come and renew me once again. <laughs>